All right. Well, we're glad you're with us. And again, we apologize for the technical difficulties this morning. And uh, we're glad that uh, many of you could jump over to Facebook with us. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab them. And we're going to be looking at and concluding this morning our mini-series entitled Shelter in Joy. And so if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13 this morning. And again, like I've said in the past, please stick to the uh, streaming uh, video after the message and after the last song because we will then uh, bring forth the announcements uh, for the week at the end of our service. So again, we're glad that you could join us. And uh, there are still some jumping in with us. And so let's pray, and then we'll get started with the Word. Father, we do thank you. And Father, we do pray, Lord, that you join us here this morning. And Father, we do thank you for the technology that allows us to continue, even in difficult and trying times such as these. So Father, lead and guide us by your Spirit this morning. Encourage us through your Word. And we ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as we've been looking at highlighted portions of the letter to the church in Philippi, a book that we know as the book of Philippians, we discover that Paul the Apostle is in Rome, the author of this letter. And in Rome, he began to write to various churches that he had planted in time previous. And as he's taking this time in Rome to write to these various churches, the church of Philippi was one of those churches. Many don't realize that the books of the New Testament are simply letters that were written at the hands of the apostles through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage or to address or to correct various issues in the various churches around the, uh, around the known world. The city of Philippi was experiencing change as many Roman officers were retiring to that area. And as a result, Philippi became one of the cities in the region of Asia Minor that began to truly uh, evolve into a Roman Empire-reflected city. What do I mean by that? They hosted one of the largest temples to their Caesar and demanded that Caesar be worshipped as God. Well, this put a lot of Christians in a very precarious position due to the fact that they really uh, didn't have the ability to worship uh, Caesar as God because we as Christians hold to what is known as a monotheistic understanding of God, that there's only one true God. And to worship any other uh, deity would be idolatry to these newfound Christians. However, though, there was a penalty for their resistance. And that penalty resulted in persecution. And it started out in various phases, just uh, simply uh, starting with uh, being socially dismissed, uh, being insulted verbally, and then it became... Uh, more and more aggressive towards these new believers, where they then would have their positions, their livelihoods taken away from them by the state. They would have uh, their material wealth taken away from them by the state. 
they would have their um, uh, family lineage seized, meaning that they would no longer be able to uh, be recognized by the city uh, there in Rome as a family of that city. And eventually it led to imprisonment and, of course, death. Paul, he's in Rome. And the letter indicates to us that he had nothing, he desired so much to be with them during this time. He didn't want them to feel that they were alone, even though Paul was in a very difficult circumstance himself. As Paul was writing this letter, he was waiting for his appeal to Caesar. He was waiting to find out if Caesar would release him or sentence him to death. And Paul didn't know the outcome. And so he took these final, what he believed could be his final moments in life, to write various churches, such as the church in Philippi. And he wanted the church in Philippi to understand and to know that remaining joyful as a Christian is not dependent upon our circumstances, but is dependent on the reality of knowing who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is, and knowing that we are in Him. And that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have been told from the very beginning that the world will hate us because we think differently than the world does, just as the world hated Jesus. That we would be persecuted by the world, just as Jesus was persecuted. But we also know that we are part of the kingdom of God. And that as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that this earth is the worst it's ever going to be for us. These are the worst experiences in which we will ever experience. We know that after uh, we depart from this earth, that heaven is going to be so vastly superior to anything on this earth, that the good times and, and the blessings are yet still to be unfolded before us in all eternity. And so this is the worst it's going to get. It's only going to get better. But for someone who doesn't know Jesus, this is the best it's ever going to get, the Bible says. It's only going to go downhill from here. So Paul began to, in this moment of pause that he had, realize that he himself and this church was faced with a huge, what seemed insurmountable trial and trouble and tribulation. And in the shadow of this trial, trouble, and tribulation, we discovered last week that Paul said to them, you are not alone, knowing that they felt alone. And so often when we are dealing with and facing a huge trial or trouble in our lives, we can often conclude that we are alone in it. And Paul reassured them in saying, no, the Lord is with you. Then he went on to address the reality of the, fa- of the fact that both him and them were in a situ- situation where the future was unknown to them. They didn't know how things were going to play out. Paul didn't know if he was going to lose his life or if he was going to retain his life. Uh, we, we discover from these individuals that they didn't know either if they were going to lose their life or retain their life, and then what type of life were they going to have? What kind of new normal were they going to have to live out now as persecuted Christians for Jesus Christ? But Paul wanted to demonstrate to them and for them that they could remain joyful, even in the wake of such difficulties. 
As Paul the Apostle demonstrated throughout his life, in fact, his first coming to Philippi was one of those examples where after being arrested and thrown into prison, he chose to praise God from the prison and God did an extraordinary work by shaking the prison doors open. You can read that for yourself in the book of Acts. See, Paul wants them, those reading his letters, and you and I today, to know that as believers in Jesus Christ, number one, we are going to experience trials, troubles, and tribulations. Number two, we can often conclude that in the wake of those trials, that we are alone in and through them. And number three, often from the vantage point in which we stand, we don't know how the trial is going to unfold and what it's going to look like on the other side. And this can place us in a great position of vulnerability and happiness is lost in the shadow of these things. But Paul says, let us not seek happiness. Let us seek joy. See, joy is an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart based on the realization of who we are in Jesus Christ. Joy is something that we choose to be. We can choose to be joyful. Throughout the letter he writes and he states, Go ahead, now rejoice. Now I say again, rejoice. It's a command. Well, how can he command us to do something that we are incapable of doing? It's a supernatural response to natural circumstances. It's the natural circumstance, I'm sorry, the natural response that would cause us to fear and to be thrown into worry and into an anxiety state, into a depressive state. But we as Christians can choose to be joyful. He's wanting us to understand that joy is not based on our circumstances such as happiness is. Joy is based upon our understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ, knowing that God is doing certain things in our life. And as he has taken us through this letter, we've discovered that, you know, he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Then we read and discovered that either if we live or die, let us do it on to the glory of God. Let us understand that God is doing something in it and that God wants us to live full on for him. If we die as believers, heaven awaits us. If we live as believers, then let us live fully for the glory of God. And then then we got into chapter 4 where we discovered that Paul encourages us not to be anxious for anything, but through prayers and supplications make your requests be made known to God, and that he shall give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is based on the reality that God is with us during this time. We are not alone. And therefore God can see us through and also supernaturally instill peace in our hearts when our natural uh, reaction to the circumstances would be anything but and then last week we understood that we addressed the unknown as i called it the wilderness of the what ifs instead of letting our mind run into this wilderness and getting lost amongst the trees let us understand that we never leave what we know to be true for those things that we don't know to be true For example, we can often find ourselves in positions that leave us to believe that God has abandoned us and he's no longer there for us and that the promises that he's made to us 
are no longer valuable. But it's often those promises that we forget which are the exact things that we need to retain at that moment. It's at that time that you and I need to remember that God is with us and the promises that he has made to us, he is able to perform and to see us through the difficulty in which we experience. Knowing that the trial that God has allowed, as Peter states in his uh, first epistle, that he allows trials as needed within our lives to refine us and to get our attention, to sanctify us and to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, now as Paul comes to the end of his letter, and we conclude our series with today's message, that Paul wants us to know that, through all, that in all things, uh, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Now, this verse has been used by so many for so many different reasons within so many different contexts. But Paul here wants us to know that it is directly related and linked to the idea of being content. Paul realizes that circumstances will change, but that he has learned to be content in whatever circumstance that he finds himself. And he thanks the Philippian church. He thanks them because they have continued their support of him, even though they themselves have gone through a difficult and are going through a difficult time themselves. But Paul, in encouraging them and thanking them for his, their support, is also instructing them, saying, it doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you can learn to be content, and that contentment can be given to you by choosing to understand who Christ is and understanding that Christ has you there for a reason. So we pick it up in verse 10 this morning. So let's turn to our Bibles in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and let's read together. As Paul writes and he starts to wrap up this letter, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As Paul is closing his letter, he now realizes that this may be the last time he has an opportunity to communicate with them. For he doesn't know if his life is about to end at the hand of Caesar Nero. And as Paul is in prison, he thanks them for their generosity and their support. You see, Paul saw that their, um, their affection and their devotion and allegiance to him was demonstrated by the fact that they, they supported him materially, financially. In fact, he says that even when it was the most uh, unopportune time to do so, they still were so faithful. And, and Paul saw that as their love being demonstrated towards him. That they too wanted to see the gospel going forward, even though they weren't in, or possibly uh, weren't capable of leaving the city of Philippi to do so. They supported Paul in his endeavor. And Paul wanted to thank him for that. But he wanted to thank them 
but not leave them with the idea that he was still in a position of need. He didn't want to be a burden to their mind, and and he says that very clearly here. So he reassures them and says, thank you for your support and your concern. I know you've always been concerned about me, but now you've been able to demonstrate that due to the opportunity, and you can see that in verses 14 and on. But then he goes and states to them, not that I find myself in need of anything, for I have learned, and that word learned in the Greek is used three times in these few verses. It's learned by experience. It's learned by going through these various circumstances. There were times that Paul prospered and had money, and there are other times that he appeared to have nothing. There were times that he found himself hungry, and there were times that he found himself uh, with an abundance of food. But through these experiences, Paul had determined and relied on the fact that God, who is faithful to supply all of their needs, was capable of providing for him. And so Paul was able to look at each and every circumstance, either being prosperous or uh, in poverty or hungry or uh, in need of food, and saying, I know that my Lord is going to provide as I need. And therefore, he was able to learn contentment. Now, this word contentment is used in the Bible as a positive, reassuring word. Today, sometimes in our society, we use, we use words in conjunction with contentment, such as uh, complacency and apathy. Uh, th- that's not what Paul was indicating here. Paul was indicating here that he learned that in each circumstance that he was going to be content. And those who have tried to put forward definitions, biblical definitions of this word, I think have done a good job in describing the attitude in which Paul is referring to. Now notice, he uses the word learned there three times. And the word is learned by experience, learned by doing. And so as he went through these things, he learned these things. And he realized that God ultimately was going to supply everything that he needed. But as a result, Paul learned also how to be content. It means feeling that you have everything when you don't have everything. The word satisfaction could often be used interchangeably with the idea of contentment meaning that he saw himself as one that was being fully provided for, and it was only a matter of time until God would provide that in which he needed. And this contentment guarded his heart and his mind. It it helped him through these times. I've learned in whatever circumstance I'm faced with to be content. And then he concludes with a very dynamic statement that in the context would indicate that the all things that he is referring to here are all the different various circumstances that he might find himself in that would require him to be content at that moment and allow him to do so. But we now know that historians and scholars have proven and shown that what Paul was doing here was actually refuting a a stoic philosophical mindset that was there at that time in that culture. You know, we know that the Stoics of that time would often tell people simply to think positively during their times of trouble. 
to think about pleasurable things at times of pain, as one scholar wrote. I'm sorry, as one philosopher wrote. Again, I believe Paul is mimicking that here in the statements in which he makes in verses 11 through 12. Let's read these statements again. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And again, this was to provoke and to cause the individuals, recipients of his letter to consider this bit of wisdom in comparison to the secular philosophers of that time. When individuals were going through difficult times, or when individuals were seeking advice or counsel, they would go to the philosophical leaders of their, of their community uh, and ask them for the wisdom needed to experience life in the manner in which they chose to experience it. And some of these philosophical ideas would be to abandon all physical things and then you will find happiness and tranquility. Or on the other aspect, it would be enjoy every pleasurable thing that there is and you will find happiness and tranquility. And if you read just these two verses and notice the number of times that Paul used the word learned, you would think that Paul became to a self-sufficient position and therefore he self-realized how he could be content at various moments that he experienced. But then he adds verse 13. And this changes everything. Paul is saying, no, I'm not talking about being self-sufficient. I'm not talking about hearing and receiving a principle that has been given by a local philosopher and applying it into my life, looking for happiness, contentment, etc. The reason that I've been able to learn this and to respond to these various circumstances with contentment is because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is not advocating a self-sufficiency. He is advocating a Christ-dependency. He is saying forthwith that this must occur in the life of the believer. That we need to understand that we are in Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians, he says, I know that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And so the contentment that I surround my heart with, that I have learned, I realize is a fruit of the understanding of the reality of who I am in Christ. And so the contentment that Paul used to guard his hearts and mind, to allow him to weather the storm, was a direct result of who he is in Jesus Christ. Certainly indicating that there's a supernatural contentment that he still had to learn. You see, that's interesting to me because it shows a dual responsibility. It shows that Paul had to learn it, number one, and number two, that Christ is the one that provided it. You see, I believe that what Paul actually learned as he went through the various different trials and tribulations that he did 
to abound or to be abased, to have a lot or to have nothing, to be hungry or to be full. He learned this reality, that he has to trust God in all things, for all things. And the reason I believe that that's what he needed to learn is because of what is later written in verse 19, if you turn there with me. And he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word my there that he uses in verse 19 is one of affection. It's one of relationship. It's one of intimacy. My God. I've learned that my God is faithful. I've learned that my God is able to perform that in which he's promised. I've I've learned that my God is able to meet me wherever I am and that he knows what I am in need of even before I request it from him. It shows me that Paul had cultivated an intimate, deep, personal relationship with God. And therefore, he was confident that when he experienced such trials, troubles, and tribulations, that God was going to be with him. As he reassures those who are reading this letter, so will God also be with you. And according to the incredible abundance of his capability of providing all that we need, God shall provide for you. And that is the reason that I can be content. It's because I know that my God is not going to leave me to starve. My God is not going to leave me in the abyss. My God is not going to leave me in the wilderness. My God is going to be with me and see me through this difficult time. Many of us today are struggling due to the circumstances that we find ourselves in due to the Lockdown for the coronavirus. Back in March, if any of us would have said, well, we're going to be in this situation for at least two months, if not more, we would have lost heart immediately, I think, in many ways. But for many, it's becoming more and more difficult each and every day. And because it's become so politicized, we are now in a, in a place where we don't know who to believe and what to believe any longer going forward. We want to be respectful and uh, and honorable citizens and do what the Bible has asked us to do, being respectful and praying for our leaders and being obedient to their directives. But at the same time, we now see that these directives may be being used for political agendas, and it's left us in a lurch. It's left us in a place of confusion, and that confusion has led many to frustrations, including myself. But this is when I have to remember that ultimately, the ultimate authority is not the governor of our state. The ultimate authority is not the Supreme Court of our state. The ultimate uh, government is not the government of Washington, D.C. or the Supreme Court there. The ultimate authority is our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he knows what we're going through. He knows our frustrations. And we need to wait upon him. He knows what we're experiencing. We don't have to tell him. He knows that. But whatever, for whatever reason, he has brought this to our doorstep. This trial is in our lives. 
And for many, I've heard that they've gotten back with the Lord. They've gotten into his word in a more deep and intimate manner. Some have become growing more and more frustrated and and now they're actually focusing their anger upon God for allowing this to happen. In 33 years of being a Christian, God has always been faithful within my life. I can say that without any uh, hesitation whatsoever. God's going to be faithful now. God's doing something. And we are here along for, for the ride. And yeah, it's difficult. I know it's difficult. And yeah, we want to, you know, stand up and rebel in some ways and shapes and forms. And that might still have to happen at some time. But what, is, what we do know is that God is with us. God knows what, he's, what we're experiencing. God is able to provide everything that we need. God is with us and will see us through this. And if we allow him, he will use this circumstance for good, conforming us first, uh, first and foremost further into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, can we be content at this moment, at this time? It's hard. It's difficult. We don't know exactly how it's going to end or when it's going to end. But can we be content? As Paul says, rejoice and thank you for all that you have provided for me. But it's not that I have need, he says. It's because I don't have need because I find myself to be content in whatever situation. Again, let us not forget, I'm not talking about being apathetic. I'm not talking about being complacent. I'm talking about being content and resting in Christ and allowing Him to lead and guide us through this time. You know, I can tell you the number of people who have been listening to the sermons here and uh, on Wednesday nights, they've increased since we've been in this lockdown. Many are asking questions about God who normally wouldn't have probably uh, been as interested or as curious as they are now. So I think we should take advantage of these opportunities while these opportunities present themselves. And like Esther, remember that we are here for a time such as this. And as we shelter in place, let us as Christians not shelter in place, but let us shelter in joy. Knowing, number one, that he who has started a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Number two, for me to live as Christ is to die as gain. If I were to go home tomorrow to heaven, what a glorious time that would be. But if God sees me fit to stay here, then I am going to stay here and live full on for the glory of Jesus Christ. And let us not be anxious about anything, knowing that the Lord is near us. And let us not get lost in the wilderness of the what-ifs, but let's meditate on those things. Let's think upon those things that are true and honorable, etc. And lastly, let our frustration be uh, confronted by our contentment, knowing that God is in control and nothing is ever going to change that. And God is capable of providing everything that we are in need of. And Paul says he had to learn that. And I wonder if he would say, I had to learn that the hard way. But he learned it, he says. Three times, I've learned. I know the secret. And the secret isn't in and of myself. 
It is not that I am like a Stoic philosopher simply putting forward a platitude for people to adopt and to apply within their own physical ability and mental capability. No, I am able to be content. I have found that secret because I realize that in him I can do all things. What a blessed promise that is. And the reason he was able to say that is because of verse 19. Knowing that according to the riches of Christ and glory, Jesus, Christ Jesus is able to provide everything that we are in need of. There is nothing like living a life in the Christian faith. I'm going to be honest with you, it's not the easiest life. And often the things of this world become more difficult to contend with. But there is no other place where I can find joy that surpasses all of the circumstances of life. That God can impart to me a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's no place that I'm going to find the love that I have experienced in and through the love of God through Jesus Christ. The mercy and the grace, the forgiveness of sin, the washing of the way of the old life and a brand new life being given in Him. These are the assurances that we have as Christians. That God will never leave us nor forsake us. That He is always with us and that He is able to provide all that we are in need of. Let us trust Him at this time. Let us walk with Him at this time, being obedient to His leading in our life. And that begins this morning by dedicating your life to Jesus Christ, to reaching out to Him and realizing that what separates you from a personal, intimate relationship with God is sin. Now, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. But Jesus provided that death. And if we will believe and trust on Him, confessing our sins openly to Him, He will forgive us of all of our sins. There's nothing that God cannot forgive you of. And you can experience new life with Him today, right where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. New life can begin today in your life. And it's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. I'm not promising you a rose garden, but I'm promising you that God will be with you through it all. Every step you take. And the promises of the Bible can be taken as, the, as not just simply principles to apply, but promises to stand upon in faith. Trusting Him each and every step of the way. Let us look at this shelter in place with new eyes and understand that as Paul was in prison and that these individuals in Philippi were in prison, that they were able to be incarcerated, but they were sheltered in joy.